Hi, everyone. Let's pray as we come to God's Word. Uh, keep those Bibles open, and you can see on your outline where we're heading. Uh, gracious Father, we thank you for the great encouragement your Word brings, yet we also know that there are parts that are hard to understand and that are challenging, and we know that well in the book of Romans. We pray that you would give us insight into your truth now, uh, and you would give us the heart to respond to it rightly. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've done the Sydney coastal walk before along the city beaches, uh, but I'm sure lots of you have. It's really nice, isn't it? Uh, just kind of one of those great, another one of those great reasons uh, for living in Sydney. Uh, there's lots of beautiful sights along the way on this walk with, with the water on one side and the landscape on the other. But the thing that's most striking, I think, about this walk is when you come across this place. If there was ever a picture that, that captured the reign of death, I think this is one of them. In the bustling city of Sydney, supposedly full of life and prosperity, where people who are fit in their active way walk past this cemetery along that boardwalk, in a city where you can have pretty much anything you want, in that city all of a sudden stands this giant cemetery with over 100,000 people buried in it. Have you ever done this walk and just kind of got to this point and felt this weird feeling inside you? If you haven't, I'm sure you can imagine. It's this stark reminder. Death reigns. It always wins. And that's just, just think about it. It's just one graveyard of countless graveyards across the entire world. Let alone the unmarked graves of the world on the battlefield or in the wilderness, or on the bottom of the sea even. Death reigns. And what can, what can we do about it? Nothing. But our passage in Romans today tells us Jesus can, and only he has. So we're now nine weeks into the book of Romans. Well done if you've been tracking with us the whole time. Uh, let's remind ourselves where we've been before we get into these words in chapter 5. What have we seen? Well, in chapters 1 to 3, this is a quick rush through. In chapters 1 to 3, we saw we are helpless in sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not even one. But, we saw in chapter 3, the biggest but in the Bible, but now we can be freely justified in Christ. Though we're sinners, we can be declared righteous in God's sight through the death of Jesus. And all of this comes, chapter 4, by grace alone, not by works, not because what we do, but by faith only, by believing in the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. And so chapter 5, because of all this, this is what we saw last week, because we are declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God. We have a certain hope. We have full assurance that God will save us. And it's all through Jesus. In him we see that no one loves us like God, who sent his son to die for us while we were still his enemies. Hasn't it been good working through the book of Romans of late? Uh, well, then in our passage today, after all this, we get to the, actually the same vein of assurance. 
He continues that same train of thought. He gives us more comfort, more assurance, more reason for our certain hope as Christians. And he does this again for our understanding, for for our assurance, for our joy. But in true Paul style, before he goes to this wonderful assurance and good news, he again shows us the bad news first. Before he shows us how certain our hope is, he shows us how bleak and hopeless our picture is without Jesus. So let's get into the first part of our passage. What does Paul want to show us? He wants, us to, bring, he wants to bring to our attention this truth that we see in our world every day, that death reigns. So have a look. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Let's read. Paul says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men because all sinned. See, Paul here shows us what hopefully we know from the book of Genesis, from Genesis 3, the beginning of the Bible. Uh, We read it just before. Hopefully we know that Adam, that's the one man here, Adam, he sinned against God's command, the command not to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He ate it because he did what God clearly said not to do. Well, Adam was punished with death, wasn't he? So have a look at Genesis 3 on the screens. What does God say to Adam? He says, You, Adam, will eat, by the bread of, you'll eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and to dust you will return. And so because of Adam's great sin, he died. But it wasn't just Adam who died. All people die. Because of that sin, Adam says. All people die and all people are sinners because of Adam and his sin. Adam's sin equals death for all. Now for someone who knows and understands these early parts of the Bible, that kind of comes as no surprise. We see this in the world all the time. Sin and death reigns. In Genesis 3, well, the first man's sin, that's just the simple explanation for it. But Paul's actually saying just something a little bit deeper than that. He's scratching a bit more below the surface because look at what he says in verse 13. He says, In fact, sin was in the world before the law, the the Old Testament law, but sin is not charged to a person's account where there is no law. Now, these verses are hard. I prayed before that they were challenging and that God would help us. But do you see what he's saying? He's saying, yes, people were sinful after Adam, that they inherit his sinful human nature from him. But he also says God doesn't charge people for sin when there's no law. So he doesn't unfairly charge people for their sin when he hasn't revealed his commands, his, himself, to them. Now, from time to time in the Old Testament and in the book of Genesis, God did reveal himself to people, didn't he? We know the story of Joseph, or we know the story of Jacob and Abraham, we know the story of Noah. But God did this in the biggest way when he revealed his law to Moses in Exodus. So God doesn't charge people with sin when there's no law to condemn them. But look at verse 14. But, Paul says, nevertheless, despite sin not being charged without law, nevertheless, death still reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. So again, this is not easy to grasp, but look at what he's saying. He's saying there were people who lived between Adam 
and Moses. Adam, the first man, and Moses, the one who received and gave God's law, the people who lived in between them, what happened to them? All of them died. They all faced death, even though they might not have sinned like Adam did by breaking a command of God. So in that period, no matter who you were, whether you're a man or woman, rich or poor, tall or short, whether you're from this land or that land, whether you were old or to the very youngest, people faced death. Even those who didn't have God's law, like Adam, don't eat the fruit, or like the Israelites did after Moses gave them the law, they still died, even without the law, to condemn them. Why? How does that work? The answer for Paul is that death reigned through Adam because of his sin. See, death reigns, people die, the cemeteries keep filling up, not only because every person sins, but death also reigns, first of all, actually, because of Adam's sin. We are charged with his sin. That's how people who don't break a command like Adam did still die. His sin is counted to them. So in verse 12, this is what Paul is meaning. He says, through one man, Adam, and through one sin, death spread to all people. Death reigns. It rules over all people through all time because of Adam and his one sin. Actually, we see that's what Paul goes on to say really clearly in all the rest of the verses. So I'm going to put them up on the screen just so we can focus on those relevant parts about Adam. So have a look at it with me. Uh, verse 15. By the one man's trespass, the many died. Verse 16. From one sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation. Verse 17. By the one man's trespass, death reigned. Verse 18, through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. Verse 19, through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So, do we die because of our sin or because of Adam's sin? The Bible's answer is both. We are double guilty. So Paul, he's already established, hasn't he? We've already seen it, that all people are without excuse and under the judgment of God for their own sin. But here, Paul declares another parallel truth to that. We are also guilty because of Adam's sin. We die because of his sin. See, in Romans, we've been seeing these big words that end in shun, haven't we? Uh, Today's passage brings a new word, the word imputation. This is that word that we use to say that that Adam's sin was credited or reckoned or counted or charged to us even though we didn't do the sin. You see, we weren't in the garden. We didn't eat the fruit. We didn't transgress God's command like Adam did. But as the first human, his sin and his guilt is imputed to us, placed on us. It's as if we were there. It's as if we did do the sin. And so we die for his sin. It's counted against us. How does that work? How is that fair? 
How can God see us like this if he is just and if he doesn't show favoritism and he judges according to our works, as we've seen? The answer lies in the truth that we, that all people, are in Adam. See, we're all connected back to Adam. We're all descended from Adam. We're all human like Adam. And he, the first human, means that we're in him in every way. Now, this is, this is bordering at kind of the, the edge of what we can know about this. See, God's word shows us here and in a few other places, we are in Adam. And, and we want to know more about that. But God has not revealed more about this in his word, in the Bible. So we have to be careful and we have to be humble. We need to affirm what God's word says without speculating too much about what it doesn't say. Now, I said this is hard to grasp, and Christians over the centuries and today have wrestled with this idea in these verses. Uh, Here's one of the most helpful things that I think I've read about this. It's from John Piper, an American pastor. He says this. He says, there is a deep, mysterious connection. We can't fully comprehend it. There's a deep and mysterious connection between Adam, whose sin became our sin, and whose judgment became our judgment. God ordains that there be a union of some kind that makes Adam's sin to be our sin, so that our condemnation is just. As descendants of Adam, we are in Adam. Another way to think about it is like this. Think about like the, the king or the leader of a country. Uh, what does a king, what, what a king does impacts his whole nation, doesn't it? When, when a king declares war, the whole country is at war with him. When he makes a good decision or a bad decision, it impact, impacts all his citizens. When a king dies in battle, what happens to his army? They lose. They fall. And so Adam is like our leader, our king, our representative And so what he's done and what happens to him, well, it flows on and impacts us as well. And we find this hard in our individualistic culture, don't we? But even in our individualistic culture, we still have some sense of this idea of communal communal responsibility. We kind of see it in indigenous issues. And we see it in things like the royal commissions. This idea that as a society, we are to blame for some things. Even if we didn't personally do the deed, we're all responsible. So even in our individualistic society, we still have that idea of communal responsibility, communal guilt or wrong. Okay, so what's Paul's point? Uh, If you're still confused, that's okay. Uh, What's the big picture here? The big picture is that death reigns through Adam. Adam's sin equals death for all. In Adam... Humanity is well and truly stuffed. And it's with that dark picture in place that now Paul can talk about what he really wants to talk about. Now we know that death reigns, Paul shows us in the rest of the passage how we can reign in life and how grace reigns through Jesus. You see, the reason Paul brings up Adam is so that he can talk about Jesus. The reason he brings up death through Adam is so he can talk about life in Jesus. The reason he brings up condemnation is to talk about justification again. Because at this point, Paul, he starts comparing Adam and Jesus to each other. 
And he compares what each of their actions mean for the rest of humanity. And the first comparison he makes is that Jesus' gift is not like Adam's trespass. So stay with me. Keep working through these verses with me. Look at verse 15. Out of this bad news flows the incredible good news. Verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. So what is the gift here? Isn't it the gift of righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus? Isn't it what he's been talking about all along in Romans? Being declared righteous before God by Jesus' death and through our faith. And what is the trespass? Well, that's Adam's sin that we saw earlier. When Adam disobeyed, he trespassed against God's command in the garden. So how are this gift and this trespass different to each other? Well, first, Adam's sin... I keep getting them the wrong way around, don't I? Anyway, hopefully you can follow along. Adam's sin and Jesus' gift have complete opposite results. Just scan over verses 15 to 17 for a second. What does Adam's sin result in? Death, condemnation, judgment forever. But what does Jesus' gift of righteousness result in? God's grace overflowing. Justification, being made righteous before God, reigning in life instead of death reigning. See, Adam's sin and Jesus' gift, total opposite results. But how else are Adam's sin and Jesus' gift different? Well, second, this is the main thing he's saying. Adam's sin and Jesus' gift have different strength or power. Think about it like this. Imagine, uh, imagine it like an arm wrestle. Jesus and Adam, they sit down at the table together, ready to arm wrestle. The tension is in the air. They, they, they lock hands and the referee is like, on three, go. And, and just straight away, it's just like, bang. Jesus wins. Adam doesn't stand a chance. And in fact, in the process, Jesus smashes the table and rips off Adam's arm. The point of that is not so much the violence. That's not really what Jesus is like, is it? Uh, The point is the difference in strength, in power. See, it would be like me arm wrestling my four-year-old daughter, Harley. You know, I'm not the most muscly man in the room. That's very clear. But I can definitely win an arm wrestle against my four-year-old. I'm just stronger than she is. Jesus' gift of righteousness is stronger than Adam's act of sin. Jesus' gift is powerful enough to completely overcome Adam's sin and all its consequences. This is the the how much more argument that we saw last week and comes up again today. Look at verse 15. He says, How much more have the grace of God and the gift of righteousness overflowed because of what Jesus has done? And verse 16, following many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. Or in other words, Jesus' gift is stronger than all the sin that preceded it. It's strong enough to overcome Adam's one sin and it's strong enough to overcome all the millions of sins that followed it. It's powerful enough to overcome death and judgment and condemnation. Jesus wins the arm wrestle. No contest. 
And so he makes his point in verse 17. Read it with me. He says, Since by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? See, before, Paul was talking about how we are all in Adam. Now he's talking about how we can be in Christ. All people are united to Adam, connected to him, but, but if you receive the gift of righteousness, then you are in Jesus, united to him, connected to him. And so if we are in Christ, if we've received the overflow of God's grace and the gift of righteousness, he says, we can be sure. We can be sure that, that Adam's sin and all that its effects are undone. We can be sure that instead of death reigning over us, we we can reign in life for all eternity, raised on the last day, forever to live with God in his new creation. And it's all through Jesus. Jesus' gift is so much stronger than Adam's sin. Well, now that Paul has shown us how Adam and Jesus are different, he now shows us how they are similar And he shows us that God's grace reigns through Jesus. So to show us this, Paul, he kind of starts to compare Adam and Jesus again, but he compares Adam's act of sin with Jesus' act of righteousness. So look at verse 18 with me. This is the last bit. Let's push through and work through these tricky words. He says, So then, this is his conclusion, as through one trespass, Adam's one act of sin, there is condemnation for everyone. We've seen that. So also, through Jesus' one act of righteousness, there is life-giving justification for everyone. So what's now the same about Adam and Jesus? What's the same is that both of them did one thing, one act, and it had huge, all-encompassing effects on humanity. We've already seen and explored Adam's one act of sin, He disobeyed in the garden. But what is Jesus' one act of righteousness? What is it that Jesus did to bring life-giving justification? He says it another way in verse 19. Look there. He says, For just as through one man's disobedience and Adam's sin, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. What is that one act of Jesus? That one act of righteousness and obedience that gives justification and life. When was was Jesus obedient to make people righteous? The cross. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, front front and center in Paul's mind is the cross of Christ. His righteous act of obedience to his Father's will. That one act changed everything. Maybe it's easy to take that for granted. But we never should. We should never underestimate, never downplay, never forget the cross of Christ. Just as Adam's sin changed the whole world and course of history, So Jesus' death changes everything and affects all those who are found to be in him. 
You see, this is where it starts to make more sense that we are charged with Adam's sin. Because if we are charged with Adam's sin, though we didn't do it, well, this means that we can be given Jesus' righteousness, though we have done nothing righteous. See, just as Adam's sin is charged to us, so Jesus' righteousness is given to us. That's how God works his grace. That's how he saves. So remember that big word, imputation. Adam's sin was imputed to us, but then Jesus' righteousness, perfect obedience, is imputed to us. We are counted righteous in Christ, credited with his righteousness. It's imputed to us. And the cross makes this all possible. He died so that his righteousness could be given as a gift, imputed to us, like, like changing our filthy rags for bright, shining, clean clothes. We are counted as sinners in Adam. We are counted as righteous in Christ. Adam's sin equals death for all. Jesus' righteousness equals life for us all. See, the cross of Christ has overthrown the reign of sin and death. And now, grace reigns instead. God's kindness reigns supreme. That's what verse 20 and 21 are about. We won't go deep, deeply into it now. God's grace reigns supreme. His grace has undone the sin and death that Adam brought. His grace has conquered, making people righteous through the death of his son. And that all leads to the end of verse 21. Look there. See, all of this results in, all of this theology, all of this work of God, all this imputation, Paul says, results in not death, not judgment, not a quiet grave by the sea. No, it results in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life. All through Jesus. Do you see why now? Do you see why he's telling us all this? It's another way for him to show just how wonderful our hope is. Just how good the gift of justification is. It's another lens to look at what Jesus did for us in his death. It's another way to give us assurance of eternal life. And so two questions for us to finish on. Number one, and this is the most important question that you can ask or answer. Are you in Christ? Are you in Jesus? Are you united and connected to him? Or are you in Adam? Whose team are you on? Because if you are not in Christ and united with him by faith, then by default you are in Adam, descended from him, joined to him and his sin his guilt and his condemnation. Death reigns over you and one day it will take your life and you will stand before the judgment seat of God and if you are in Adam there is no hope for you on that day. But if you do what Paul says in verse 17, if you receive God's grace and the gift of Jesus' righteousness, not yours, if you are then in Christ if you are united with him, then you have every blessing that this passage talks about. 
You have the overflow of all of God's grace. You have the gift of being righteous in God's sight through Jesus' cross. You reign in life, into eternal life, free from sin and death and all that came in Adam. So are you in Christ? Have you received those blessings? Have you received them by faith? By simply trusting in him alone for salvation? That's what these words cry out and plea for you to do so that you are in Christ and not in Adam, so that you reign in life and death doesn't reign over you anymore. But for the many of us who have put their faith in Jesus, who have accepted this gift of righteousness, the question is, can I be sure? Can I be sure of my salvation in a world where sin and death reigns, where graveyards fill, no one escapes? The answer, like last week, is yes, you can be sure. The one man Jesus and his one righteous obedience has undone the sin and death of Adam that we see all around us every day. Like a king who leads his army into battle, Adam has fallen and so has his army. They are defeated, but Jesus is victorious. And so are we, his army, his people, those in him. We enjoy all the spoils. Can you see that it's all by grace? It's, it's all by God's work. It's all through Jesus. So why do we doubt? We need to look to the one man, Jesus. Why do we fear? Look to the one righteous act of his death on the cross. See, it can be tempting, can't it, to, to doubt God when we look around and see a world ruled by sin and death, a world of overflowing cemeteries that, that are only growing but we have the promise, we have the sure hope that for us, Adam's sin and all that that means, it's all undone. You and I couldn't do anything about it. Only Jesus can. Only he has. And So instead of death reigning, our experience is what the end of verse 21 says. We experience the reign of grace through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.